Hey everyone, this is John Wilson with Make Ours Marvel. And before we get into the music and the show here, I just want to take a moment to dedicate this episode to the memory of my brother, Jim Wilson. Uh, he was a big part of my comics fandom coming up. He was a big Daredevil fan, and most of my early Daredevil fandom uh, is on account of his reading the comics. And back in the day, whenever I was doing my Spider-Man podcast, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, he actually came on the show to cover Daredevil 16 and 17 with us. So as we wrap up that storyline of Spider-Man and Daredevil teaming up, uh, I just want to remember him. That was in 2011 before he committed suicide in 2016. So, miss you, Jimbo. everyone my name is michael kaiser and i'm john wilson and welcome to another episode of make ours marvel this is the 121st episode of make ours marvel which means it's a perfect square because 121 is the square of 11 also means if we do four more 20s we'll be at episode 200 whoa right we've already done five 20s well yeah but i mean it's with the new 100 round so uh uh, I feel like these first 20 after the 100 went pretty fast. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The It'll first 20 be... since episode 100. I what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I also, I misspoke. We've done six 20s. But yeah, this is um, this is flowing right along. We've got a groove going in our recording schedule. And it always feels good whenever that's and, happening. And cooler stories and better art. And it's just like getting better and better. So, yeah. You know, we you know, do have cooler stories. We're not starting. <laughs> I, I was going to help you segue. Yep. <laughs> Ladies and gents, if you will bear with us through the X-Men 21, uh, we will oh. get to Daredevil 17 and Thor 129 and Tales to Astonish 81 and have a much more enjoyable experience. Yes. But before that. Um, so this is interesting. Um, Marvel is expanding their titles. Uh, they're, they're doing more reprint comics. They've got uh, Marvel Tales. They've got Marvel Collector's Item Classics. And they have this series called Fantasy Masterpieces. Now, Fantasy Masterpieces is ostensibly a Golden Age reprint book. But when they say that on the first couple issues, what they mean is backup stories and monster stories from Journey into Mystery and Tales of Suspense and all that. But mm -hmm. when you go, they say Golden Age, they mean late 50s, early 60s, and even stuff that they printed after the superheroes started back up again. So just kind of random monster stories that they thought, let's reprint this. However, with this month's issue number three, they are reprinting actual 1940s superhero stories. So Captain America... Torch, Namor, that sort of thing. And at one point I had thought about including them in our coverage, mm -hmm. but I've been reading them in part of my own Marvel read through, which is about 10 months ahead of the show and not getting quite as much enjoyment out of it as I was wanting to. And also Mike, I think whenever we brought, talked about it briefly, you were kind of not super keen on the idea either. Well, I think we've, <sighs> kind of established with our starting with FF number one in general that, and we have covered some old cat before in our previous show. Like we kind of know that there's a big difference maybe. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I know, I know. Uh, on paper, everybody like tries to unify the whole world together, but I think like Golden Age Captain America is a entirely different universe than a six one six Captain America in a way. Just for the just most when you part. read it, pretty much when you read it, it's all it's all just names and faces that they connect together. But I don't think it would necessarily like enhance our experience going through the universe we're going through. I guess. And I kind of feel like my focus in the progression of this series is the storylines, the narratives, and the character mm-hmm. developments. Right. And so you're just, just not going to get that by grabbing random timely reprints. Right. Just randomly sh- picking up cap number three right now wouldn't really help us much, I guess. Right. Now, uh, But just to clarify, only Captain America is being reprinted in number three, right? As far I think as so. Heroes. I think in number three yeah. it's just Captain America, but like in the, in the other issues they're going to do others. And it also looks like they're getting a unique, for those who care, a unique Jack Kirby cover. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's not like just being, it's not just stolen art from previous issues. It's like, previous I think he actually drew this stuff. Panels or... Yeah, yeah. So it might be cool to pick up if you, uh, if that's a, that's one way of picking up early Captain America, though I somehow doubt they they reprint past what they've already reprinted a million times. So unfortunately, I don't think Cap gets reprinted completely ever that I can think of. No, you can get a two hardcover slipcase edition mm-hmm. of the first year of Captain America, which was the right. only books that Simon and Kirby worked on was the first right. year. Yeah. Um, and then and then they just kind of stop. So you're either forced to be illegal or to be a millionaire or to hope someday that they get around to digitally offering these other issues that they never seem to reprint. But now what's interesting and probably worth pointing out is that the art in those sometimes gets touched up. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to timely Red Skull stories, if Uh-oh. you've read any timely Red Skull, you know that his design is creepy. Mm-hmm. But his his face gets redrawn to look more like the um, annoying orange, you know, mud ball right. face as in these books. Right. It's kind of like the difference between F- Fantastic Four number one things face to current. Mm-hmm. Or current for us things face like Fantastic Four fifty, yeah, like those are just different visual designs, right? I actually so, really, I, I think you posted it or somebody did posting a side by side comparison of that mm-hmm. phenomenon. Yeah, probably about a I, year ago. Yeah, I really enjoyed the the sloppier but creepier Golden Age version personally. I don't he know. is, I mean, yeah, yeah. The the current Red Skull has a bit more of a suave look to him with the cravat and everything. Mm-hmm. But for 1940s creepy Captain America, and really you and I have Captain America, Captain America was basically, I mean, a horror comic totally. with Captain America and Bucky. And uh-huh. Red Skull's 40s design really fit that. He was an FBI man on American soil fighting monsters, mm-hmm. which does not really reflect the flashbacks we get in Tales of Suspense all that much. So. Now, one more tidbit about this before we get into actual comics is that fantasy masterpieces will get renamed with issue 12, I think it's 12, as Marvel Superheroes. And at that point, we will be including it because it's going to turn into a lead story that is in-universe, starting with Captain Marvel. Oh, and that comes out in uh, uh, October of 1967. Yep. Oh, no, I'm a liar. I want to say it's early 1968. Oh, it's October 10th, 1967, according to Mike's okay, okay. whatever. So, so, yeah. But, yeah, look at that cover. That's awesome. Captain Marvel number one with his green outfit, all yes. new. Ooh, that'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to that because I don't know a lot about the first Captain Marvel. So 
And he's really they, loved by a lot of people. The, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool character concept. Uh, the stories are not always as good as they as you want them to be, mm. but they'll be fun, you know, to read. And by that time, I think our stories are going to be so much larger with art and more decompressed that, like, mm-hmm. we might increase our book coverage again by that point because it's going to take less time talking about the stories. Yeah, maybe. As opposed to our first book tonight, which, you know, is not decompressed at all. It the is X-Men so compressed. 21. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I actually think as much as it's compressed, very little happens. But I guess we'll see if that's true or not. You are correct. You are correct. Remember when we did those blind uh, a minute mm-hmm. recaps? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. You ready? Yeah. First, let me do the first page. From Whence Comes Dominus. Mm-hmm. It's exemplary editing by Stan Lee, extraordinary writing by Roy Thomas, exceptional art by Jay Gavin, exhilarating inking by Dick Ayers, and exasperating lettering by Artie Simic. Yeah, I believe him of, this time. Yeah. Reminds me of the podcast is out there, Exasperations, which is an issue by issue journey through the X-Men with a husband and wife team. Really? Um, yeah. Cool. I Have you never heard of this? Out. No. Yeah, Seamus and Candace Colbert, uh, mm-hmm. or Colbert, they started issue one, and they've gotten past Dark Phoenix. They don't put out super regularly anymore, but they are a really fun team to listen to. And most episodes also have a big segment of like comic history. Uh, it's That's, well worth listening to. And I, I like uh, Chronological, as all my shows seem to be anyway, that yes. I've ever had. Because like explaining the X-Men is great, but they just jump around all over the place. And a lot of times I don't know what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. starting with number one, man, that's for me. That's X hyphen aspirations, um, which is like three different entendres there. <laughs> Having pinpointed the location of their mysterious foe, the sinister Lucifer, Professor Xavier and his superpowered protégés are rapidly approaching his desert citadel. When without warning, a beam of pulsating light materializes directly in their path. But if you want to know any more, you've got to learn it the hard way. Read on, Tiger. Okay, so there's this um, butte with, like, all these beams of light coming out of it and these, like, spheres dropping into it from space. The X-Men are flying toward it because this is where Lucifer is. They need to stop him. This random Marvel Western intersects with the (laughs) storyline for five pages because these guys are like, why is that light in my butte? And why is that plane? And let's stop those X-Men. Um, of course, X-Men end up stopping them. They go down inside. Um, Xavier goes down, and Dominus turns out to be this like array of rays that can be used to subvert the wills of mankind. Mm. And Lucifer has built all these green robots, like the one you see on the cover. They're the only ones who can operate Dominus. So um, Xavier gets in there and he's trying to figure out how to stop Dominus. So he's like mentally probing the, um, the, uh, the machine, but he's telepaths, the X-Men don't mess with Dominus because if you do, it'll trigger it and then we won't be able to stop it. So the X-Men come in, they start arguing amongst each other whether or not they should really obey Xavier because Xavier is like sitting stock still and not interacting with them. So maybe he's uh, coerced. Um, and, uh, Cyclops is like, no, listen to the professor. He's my dad. And you, uh, he said to stop the robots, not Dominus. Let's attack the robots instead. 
And so finally, after a lot of infighting between them, they fight the robots. They stop the robots. Lucifer is like, I'm an alien. Xavier's like, I always suspected. Um, but now with all my robots gone, I'm very sad. And Lucifer runs away and the X-Men leave. You made that sound cooler than it. I thought it was, at least. Yeah. So that was yeah, cool. Yeah, because there's a decent story in here, but it's a decent 10-page story. Yeah. That goes on for 20 pages. So first of all, overall impression, did you feel like a little bit of a rerun with the Sentinel story, at least the second part? Because they're both like robots. They're both the X-Men kind of trapped and alienated from Professor X. Professor X worried about his guys outside. Then he gets pulled in. Then they kill the robots and they escape. But, I'm nodding here. I didn't think about that when I was reading it, but I can totally see the similarities now that you mentioned it. And it's like, dude, we just read that like two issues ago or something. So kind of weird that they went for robots again, I guess. Um, this is the most boring issue of X-Men I've ever read. It was, I don't know if it's, okay, yes, it is boring. I think a lot of it's just because it's so wordy. Like, especially like page three, how much, there's more balloon than art on page three, for instance. Mm -hmm. Like I turn to that page and it's just like, okay, I need to go get lunch or something. I can't do this. I need a Coke. And it's like, so Roy Thomas, you were right. I think you said, you're the one who said he was worried. You're the one who said he was wordy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're not wrong. He's wordy. Um, some random thoughts in the credits. Gene Colan has come out of hiding, but Werner Roth is still pretending to be Jay Gavin for whatever reason. Okay. Um, there's a somewhat famous scene in the Dark Phoenix saga, or maybe it's just the Phoenix saga, where Gene and Scott go to this butte and have mm-hmm. sex. And in my oh. head, Ken, it's the same butte. Okay, that's at least something, some reason to have this, because this right. was a huge waste of time, wasn't it? A bit, a bit. The stuff with the Western, it was the fillerest filler that ever fillered. Yeah, but you know what else it reminds me of? Last issue, where... The first half is a different story than the second half with the blob and the what's his face repeller. Oh, Eunice. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like it's like that half was different, and then the second half is freaking Lucifer, and this is going on here too. They're fighting, you know, mutant racist redneck guys, and then all of a sudden that's over. And Difference it didn't being go anywhere. that the blob and Eunice have elevated that issue. Right, that's true. Uh, I think he, I think Iceman killed that guy. By the way, I'm pretty sure you can't survive in a block of ice. Around your Harley chest? Quinn did, but you know. Oh. <laughs> Different universe. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 that would have been cooler if it was a Marvel Western. You said Marvel Western. I thought, wow, what if this was like Two Gun Kid instead of this guy? But mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, this is generic Marvel Western. This is generic Marvel. Okay, so they really want to make this like epic idea that Professor X's destiny is to ward off this alien uh, assault. Mm-hmm. Which one... Is dumb because the whole point of the X Men is for X, for Professor X's destiny to be to, you know, unify humanity and mutant kind and to help humans fight off bad mutants. So aliens yeah. really have nothing to do with it. Fighting bad mutants is to like one of the things thing. we've heard so many times. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's an alien threat, and that was another reason I started them. Okay. Xavier, I didn't realize that was part of the deal. I'm not sure if I would have enrolled if that part was on the syllabus. <laughs> right. And what does he even what yeah, and like we described last issue, I don't even know why Lucifer thinks he's a threat because he has no idea he even has powers and it's just weird that he brought he went out of his way to go after Xavier for no reason. 
Xavier spends the entire issue trying to thought probe the minds of the robots and of Dominus, which mm-hmm. is dumb because robots don't have minds. Yes, but at least I did think that this note to myself, I don't know where it was. When he gets captured by those robots, he actually says out loud, uh, uh, they're immune to my mental blast. I'm defenseless. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yay, because up till now, his mental blasts seem to work all the time on everything. And I'm glad that they didn't work. But the fact that he thought they would work was stupid. Page eight is a splash page. But I think is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's... I uh, think the goal, the artist's goal was to say, wow, this is a really large complex. Mm-hmm. But it's just dull as dishwater to look at. It is. And it's just more filler, right? It's like, we don't have enough stories. So let's do one panel on one page. Uh, I, yeah. I did realize that the uh, equally weird and pointless splash page last issue of the silo coming out with the big ray, mm-hmm. that was probably Dominus. Because we see Dominus here. Oh. It's, a, it's, it's a big phallic silo that has a bunch of rays coming out of the head mm-hmm. um and that's basically what we saw last issue right so then he's like talking about their history this race that i don't even know what their name is by the way do they have a name they do later they have not said it yet and i don't okay. know what it is well they conquer like look at past people we've conquered and we've turned them into mere automatons and i'm thinking you mean like the robots that you've invented why don't you just freaking use robots Right? You're all about robots. Why are you making, you know, going around conquering people when you have robots? I don't know. And, and what are you using them? For? Are, are they building their pyramids for you? What is going on here? Yeah. Are they, do you drain the planet of resources or do you just like being cruel? Like it doesn't really explain what they're all about, I guess. They were a great and advanced civilization. This is a planet on the star Sirius for those of you who like to keep track of your cosmology. Um, mm-hmm. And they're just reduced to a bunch of shirtless slaves. Right. And they're carrying old school adobe pots with nothing in them or ground dirt in them or something. Yeah, full of something. So it's like, yeah, what did you do? Like if they were advanced civilization, say if you conquered Earth, where on Earth is this? You know what I mean? Like why don't they have a factory or advanced technology to process the ore or something? Why Why do this? That's weird. I don't know. I'm thinking too hard. doesn't matter. At one point, Lucifer is, you know, ranting about how he's going to send the robots after the X-Men and Xavier doesn't respond because he's still Uh trying to probe deeper to find the uh, uh, fallibilities of Dominus. And Uh Lucifer's like, so you you don't care that I'm going after your X-Men? Then fine, I'm going to kill them. Yeah. There's a story of, of of a boy who was being spanked by his father, but the boy is getting older, older than maybe he should be spanked, old enough that he... Uh, has decided not to cry and uh-huh. give his father the satisfaction. So right. he's taking this spanking, but he's not crying. And so the dad gets mad and just starts beating him harder because the not crying wasn't good enough. And, I, and, and, and that's a horrible story. But I yeah. feel like he has the same energy here. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, I'm beating you. I'll show oh, you. You're not sad? I'll beat you more. Because <laughs> they're, lo- they're lost control. I have dreams like that. Is that weird? I don't know. Anyway. Are you the beater or the BD? I'm the beater, and they're not being affected, and I have zero control, and I wake up frustrated. Well, at least it's dreams. Yeah, at least it's dreams. You can't can't control your dreams. Don't report me, anybody. I promise. Just dreams. Uh, You know, I've had dreams that if they existed in real life, I'd go to jail like in several different ways. So just don't talk about them, and no one has to care. Yeah. 
But then, like, okay, not to keep complaining about the wordiness, but see, like, page 16, that second panel, that just doesn't flow. It's weird. It's like they're all standing there approaching Lucifer, but they're talking about their taxes and stuff, and he's there shaking his fist. So it's like you can't just fill a panel with a bunch of words. you got to, like, make it work. I don't know. I feel like it's, it's like a really weird, elaborate Broadway set. Mm-hmm. They're, like, on these all of these different levels of these different – stages and and beast is just casually being sexist again again yes which is weird because you think of all the characters he would not be the most sexist i would think so but he's because he's read books and stuff it's multiple occasions now it really is i think are they trying to just make it so like he likes to jab gene or like that's his character trait is to make fun of gene or pick at her and and maybe he's compensating because he has a crush on her which we find out at one point okay Um, could be but it's not a good competition. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, you're right. This like, look, every panel is them on these weird like uh, Donkey Kong stairs or something. Yes, it's Donkey Kong. That's what it it's is. Totally Donkey Kong. It's just an odd, odd thing. I don't know. And then like the a whole other part too of a uh, of of this being like Charlie X's destiny is that it's resolved so easily and quickly. Like it really didn't seem like much of a threat. Take no, out three robots. That, done. And Lucifer gets yelled at by his big green headed boss and. Oh. The X-Men fly away. By the way, he gets yelled at by his green-headed boss, and the guy says, I'm banishing you to the Nameless Dimension, presses a button, Lucifer gets sucked up into the Nameless Dimension, and I'm thinking, why not press five buttons? And the X-Men could just be sucked up into the Nameless Dimension, because apparently laws of physics don't matter when you press that button. Yeah. And what would have stopped them from being sucked into a Nameless Dimension? And actually, with all of the really heavy furniture getting sucked up with him, what did stop the X-Men from getting sucked up to the Nameless Dimension? Uh, well, Angel probably grabbed them all and used his amazing strength of his wings to flap them into place or something. Probably. I don't know. Oh, we should maybe mention that they did introduce a new vehicle, which may or may not last past this issue. The but little really, sled they're riding on the end there? They were really proud of it. Yeah, they have like in, – in addition to the jet that they introduced last issue, they get in and out of their jet with a uh, – what do they call it? I don't know. They call it something, but it just looks like a red sled that kind of goes up and down, hovers. What well, says next issue is Count Nefario, which is another one of those stories that I, over the course of this podcast, thought we would never get to. I don't remember if it's good or not, but it is at least memorable in my head. It's a two-parter with Nefario and a bunch of random henchmen from Strange Tales. Uh-huh. So we'll see what happens when we get there. Wasn't his name like the the Dreamcaster or something? Not Nefaria. He has Nefaria again at least once since then. Yes, he I'm has. I'm actually You're convinced right. that that Dreamcatcher was not supposed to be Nefaria. <laughs> oh, that's a possibility, yeah. <laughs> and that Lee made it Nefaria because why the heck not? <laughs> or, or he just ate something funny that day. And yeah. it's like, we don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, okay, let's get on to a good book, though. I really I'm... love the coloring of the sky in this Daredevil cover. Oh, yeah, that is good. It's a good cover. Do you the think co- that the, the color on the mass Marauder is a different story, but the sky looks really yeah. good. He doesn't quite match the inside, does he? Mm-mm. Okay, so last issue ended super awesome. If we remember, it's called this issue is called None Are So Blind. You guessed it. Spidey thinks Foggy Nelson is really Daredevil, and the angry web spinner is trying to make the astonished attorney confess. Please direct your accolades and bravos to Smiling Stan Lee, writer, fearless Frankie Ray, inker, jazzy John Romita artist, swinging Sammy, Ro- swinging Sammy Rosen, letterer. Complaints may be sent to irrescribable, iris- I don't know how to say that. Ir- irascible. 
Irascible Irving Forbush. Why do I always get those? Okay. I yeah. get them too. I just make it look easy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, what's that guy's name? The bad guy is a uh, 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 masked marauder. The masked marauder last issue plotted Daredevil and Spider-Man against each other so that they'd be too busy. And he got to do his shenanigans and steal a car engine design. So Spider-Man tracked down Daredevil by spider sense, but he doesn't think Karen or Matt could possibly be Daredevil because blind and female. So it must be the chubby guy. So he's going to punch him to death. Matt's like freaking out, but at the same time, he's thinking, I don't think Spider-Man's really going to hurt him, so I just won't really, uh, I won't reveal myself. And Karen makes a good point and says, you know, if this was in reverse, you wouldn't reveal who you are, right? And Spidey's like, ah, that's a really good argument. Fine, I'll leave you, but don't think I don't know what's going on. And he swings away and in his own internal thoughts thinks, if that is Daredevil, he'll at least come after me pretty quick. So I guess I'm outing him one way or another. So we're back at the office. Everybody's trying to recover and Foggy starts thinking, and you know, as uh, Karen kind of goes on and on about Spider-Man, which one would do after being assaulted by Spider-Man, Foggy's like, boy, she's really talking to him, talking about him like, you know, with awe in her voice. I wish I was like Spider-Man. I wish, I wish she talked about me with awe in her voice. I know what I can do. So instead of like, he doesn't actually say like, I'm Daredevil, but he doesn't not say he's not Daredevil. So he kind of purposely makes it seem like maybe he could be. So that sort of puzzles uh, uh, Karen. And, uh, 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 and of course, Matt's on to him because he knows the truth. And they have this big like romance panel, and it's kind of great and all that. Anyway, Foggy leaves. Um, 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 Karen leaves. And immediately, Matt Murdock turns into Daredevil and goes out to investigate what's going on. He goes to the company that manufactured the stolen plans and he listens in. And it turns out that the dude, the villain dude forgot to also steal like what fuels it, or at least the designs for what fuels it. So he really is, has kind of a worthless thing. So Daredevil comes up with this cool idea and he goes to JJ Jonah Jameson's office and he says, Hey JJ, uh, why don't you help me out? And JJ's like, no, I hate you. You're a costume person. He's like, but it's about making Spider-Man look bad. And Jameson's like, okay, I'm in. So next thing you know, he's on TV. He put out the money to be on TV. And he talks about how uh, uh, the masked marauder stole the XB390 plans, but he forgot to steal the formula for the fuel. So haha, don't worry, folks. We're all safe. Uh, Spider-Man sees this as Peter Parker and goes, oh my God, that that's dumb that means that the mass marauder is probably going to go back to steal the formula for the gas good job jj you shouldn't have said anything uh the mass marauder's thinking the same thing he's like yeah he shouldn't have said anything i'm going to go back and steal the gas the company that owns the thing that got stolen also groan and say god why did he say something now he's going to go back and steal the gas or the formula for fuel but daredevil of course it's all his master plan he wants the mass marauder to go back so that night both Spider-Man and Daredevil show up, assuming the Masked Marauder will also try and steal again. They again get into a fight because Spider-Man's convinced Daredevil's still a bad guy. Daredevil's trying his best to talk him out of it, but it's hard to talk when you're getting punched in the face a lot. Finally, Daredevil ultimately wins, knocks him to his knees, but just before he can, like, I'm sorry, Spider-Man wins and knocks Daredevil to his knees. But before they can keep going, all of a sudden there's a freaking blimp, and they're both like, oh, this must be uh, the Mass Marauder's assault idea because it's a camouflage blend. It's called World Motors. It looks like an advertisement. Nobody seems to care. But, of course, it's really the Mass Marauder. And he jumps down to the roof 
and Spider-Man and Daredevil being on adjacent roof can see this happening. So they confront him as he is, as the mass marauders using his cool laser beams to take out the guards. Spider-Man jumps in, he beats up all the mass marauders, um, you know, flunkies, but unfortunately gets zatted by the mass marauders. Awesome blinding Ray put a pin in that. But before the Mass Marauder can shoot Spider-Man, Daredevil then shows up because he's a little slower than Spidey to get over there. And he and the Mass Marauder get into a fight. The Mass Marauder also zats Daredevil with his blinding ray. But guess what? Daredevil's already blind. So who cares? And Daredevil proceeds to beat the freaking tar out of him. And it's really awesome. And then he steals his gun and shoots the blimp so it blows up. Uh, the cops show up. Everybody's like, oh, it was Daredevil who's the good guy the whole time. That means Spider-Man must have been the bad guy. And Spider-Man's like, oh, man, that's what always happens to me. But Daredevil's a cool guy, and he says, no, you're both wrong. Do some work, journalists. Actually, Spider-Man helped me, and without him, uh, we couldn't have got the Mass Marauder because he got here first. Hey, wait a minute. Where's the Mass Marauder? They turn around. While they were talking to the reporters and the police, he got away. Uh, Daredevil jumps down to the street to try and find him, but really where he went is he knocked out one of the guards and took the guy's uniform. So he's just casually strolling out, escaping through the lobby of the building when he comes across uh, – I want to call him Foggy. It's Foggy, right? Yeah, Foggy and Karen. Um, Karen found Foggy and is like, oh, my God, you're here, and Daredevil was just here? So, like, maybe are you Daredevil? I mean, you kind of just have to tell me because I'm getting tired of this whole, like, you know – elusiveness and stuff um and the and the mass marauder who's disguised as a cop overhears this and he stops and goes wait is this guy daredevil and he listens to the answer and foggy being a bonehead doesn't say yes or no he says sorry i cannot answer your question please don't ask again and she takes that as a yes because of course if he said no that would be different he would just say no if he was no right so now the mass marauder's like well i know who daredevil is and i really want to get vengeance on him so i guess i'm gonna figure out who this guy is and he follows him home and we leave daredevil in his office wondering what to make of the marauder what to make of spider-man and what to make of foggy being a weirdo i did not realize that that cop was the mass marauder mm-hmm. i thought it was setting up the gladiator stuff next issue nope so now the mass marauder who wants Daredevil, who wants revenge, now knows that Foggy, Foggy Nelson, Nelson is, is Daredevil. Daredevil. Yep. All right. Which, by the way, how can anybody freaking believe that? But whatever. Well, and that goes to um, an interesting point about this issue in that uh, – and maybe actually, let's, let's put a pin in that and come back to it at the end of the story. Because okay. this issue has ramifications. Okay. Um, okay. Foggy Nelson, who are you? He is just well. First of all, I thought he was doing better with Karen than he seems to be now. Like issues ago, it seemed like Matt bowed out, and then the two of them were just going to date. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like he is desperate for any attention he can get, any way to convince her to like him, to you know whatever. So maybe she's not dating him, or they tried and it didn't work. It's just such a weird flex for Foggy because, mm-hmm. like, like you said, who's going to believe that he's Daredevil? He's not athletic. He's mm-hmm. not fit, which is not fat shaming at all. It's just, no. you know, the, the, the body types don't match. Right. But also, what's the long game there? Like, if Karen decides to marry you and have your children only to find out that that was a lie the whole time? Yeah, that's true. He is typical, like, after-school special getting himself <laughs> into a, a lie trap that he's not going to be able to get out of. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, this, it's weird. You know what this but, is? This is the yeah. opposite of Superman and Clark Kent. Yeah. Instead of lying and saying you aren't somebody, or Spider-Man and Peter Parker, whatever. Instead of lying and saying you aren't somebody, he's lying to say he is. It's just, yep. Uh, now, there is this bit on page three, and I could be wrong. Maybe they have already talked about this, but I was kind of interested that he has this foggy has this woe is me uh thought balloons about how matt aced school and was like i don't know if he said he was a cool guy but like just the top of everything and honors and stuff and foggy mm-hmm. just sort of like stumbled through it so i was kind of under the impression that foggy was an ace too but i guess not just a friend and not great at being a lawyer yeah that's kind of my impression of foggy is that he's not incompetent he's just not as stellar so matt kind of carries the the reputation probably a little bit yeah which Nelson could also gets his first name on the uh, his name first on the placard, but Murdoch's the better lawyer. Which could have you know create feelings of resentment too. So I could see you know now with Karen involved, that's really obviously a thing. Him hating Matt, even though he loves Matt, he's very complicated. I kind of forgot about the whole motor engine plot. <laughs> Do mm-hmm. we get to page five? Yeah, <laughs> I was all wrapped up in the Spider-Man Daredevil melodrama. <laughs> Worried that Spider-Man was out of the picture by page three. Like, they were just not going to have him come back. And I was going to be like, well, that's the most disappointing uh, cliffhanger ever. But luckily, he did come back. Yeah, he did. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Ditko's presence at Marvel. Because um, Ramita brings Jameson into the story and Aunt May into the story. Mm-hmm. And I was starting to think, okay, we're down to the wire. Ditko's last issue of Spider-Man is going to be released this month. Right. And when we talked about Daredevil last time, I was like, well, you know, the the story is that Ramita got to do Spider-Man here as a tryout for taking over the Spider-Man book. But that doesn't work out because it's too early. But it's really not that early. If Ditko got his work in just a little bit on the early side, then Lee could have been scrambling around. And Ramita, can you work Spider-Man into your next couple of issues or or next issue? Because it was going to be just a one issue story. Uh And just see how it goes. Yeah. So the timing does work out there just. It all works out pretty good. And we've mentioned that his style is more Ditko-y in terms of the Spider-Man character, at least. Or when he's dressed dressed as Spider-Man. In this issue. In the the previous issue, yeah. Yeah. But, like, if you look at, say, Jonah or Aunt May or Peter Parker, that's all very Ramita. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was thinking, like, and it was kind of tripping me out. Like, this is so early days that not many people have drawn Spider-Man officially. So, like... If you are the new, if you are a guy on Daredevil who's being told, okay, draw Spider-Man, what am I going to do? I'm going to open up a Spider-Man comic, see how Ditko draws Spider-Man's costume, and just try and copy it. Right. That's craziness. I don't know. I don't know why that tripped me out. But like nowadays, of course, everybody's going to bring their own style to something. But that's why why he's doing it. He's just trying to copy what the only style that existed at the time was. But like you were saying a second ago, this is probably, of all of our guest appearances and team-ups and whatever, this is probably the one that is the most fleshed out of the other person's book. Mm-hmm. Of course, Spider-Man has a better developed supporting cast than any other book anyway. But, you know, Jameson's here, Aunt May's here, Peter Parker's here. All the elements of his outside of Spider-Man life are represented here to at least a small degree. Well, not his college life, but still. Um so seeing that definitely feels yeah. like, okay, this is a Spider-Man book as well as it is a Daredevil book. Right. Because it's not just Spider-Man crossing over. It's his supporting cast. So that's pretty neat. But you know, it was, you know it was neat to see like 
Daredevil jump into J. Jonah Jameson's window, you know? Right, and like go talk to him. Like we don't see that. We we were just starting to see the Daily Bugle showing up in other books. People may have opinions about it, mm-hmm. but Daredevil going to see J. Jonah Jameson—that's new. Yeah, it's not going to be new in the early '80s. Like that's going to be just a thing, um, if I understand right. Because like Ben Urich, it works for the Daily Bugle and becomes a regular part of Daredevil. So I think J. Jonah Jameson is going to start showing up really regularly around that time. But um, just, but. Uh... First more time. ways of more ways of building a world, man. You know what though? Like I really love Ramita Spider Man, and it's great and all. But we're, while we're reading this Daredevil, I can't help but think we're losing Ramita to Spider Man because like his Daredevil is pretty awesome, right? Like page four, panel two. That Matt Murdock face is like amazing. I don't know. I can't get over stuff like that. So I don't yeah. know who I don't know who replaces Ramita after he moves on to Spider Man, but he's got big shoes to fill. Whoever it is. Yeah, I don't either. In fact, I'm not going to look it up. I kind of want it to be a surprise. Yeah. Um, Aunt May actually kind of had me thinking here. She's she's a little bit like the Wortham parent. Mm-hmm. Like, Dr. Wortham was right, and comics and crime fiction will corrupt our high-strung youth. And Peter, you really oh. should be watching that crime news. And Right. And I never thought of her in that, in that <sighs> frame before, but it really uh-huh. kind of works. It seems like they've been doing that nudge nudge wink wink joke more as we go on like her mm-hmm. thinking that he's just so completely frail he's like steve rogers frail and can't handle anything and i don't know what he was like pre bite maybe bite. maybe he really couldn't handle anything or he was sick all the time too man he and mm-hmm. he and steve rogers should like hang out and talk about the early sick days you know bond over being 4f and stuff but i do like the idea of aunt may's worries being based in reality that at some point in his youth he was a bit weaker whether he grew out of that 10 <laughs> or yeah, it's hard to say not until he got bitten by the spider doesn't really matter too much, but I don't like the idea that Aunt May is just crazy doting. I, I like the idea of her having reason for worry, but you know, I got a son who, when he was really, really, really young was allergic to something. And then the wife just still thinks that even though it's not really true. And my, my mom used to think I was allergic to chocolate for like 60 billion years, even though it only was applied for like the first couple of years of my life or something. So sometimes that's just how people are too. Like they just, they pigeonhole you into something, especially when they're worried about you and they never see you change or develop, I guess. Mass Marauder ran out of purple hinkies. <laughs> he looks so weird, doesn't he? Yeah. That white face mask. There are weird. so many of these like, would be Darth Vader guys that it's kind of funny. Like they should all get together at a convention or something. So what's funny is that they try to play the long game mass marauder identity story with this, like they do with uh-huh. the green goblin over in Spider-Man. Right. And so knowing about that, I was kind of curious in 16 and 17, if I know who the mass marauder is, mm-hmm. just like I knew who Supreme Hydra was in that first Hydra story. Mm-hmm. I was curious to see if he actually shows up in the story. Mm-hmm. And do you want to know? Uh, Not do you want to know who he is, but do you want yeah, to know is yeah, his face me... in this book? Yes, I do. His face is not in this book. Oh, see, that's cheat. Then how are we ever supposed to figure it out? Yeah, I don't know. So I, I'm curious to see how the story gets built um, over the next however long it takes him to do it. But, you know, even with the Supreme Hydra, they showed the faces. But my argument is if we don't care about any of the faces and they don't stand out, then it doesn't really matter who it is. Right. We, you need somebody who actually has a stake in the rest of the story like, for it to really feel important. I need three people that are seemingly important so that I can sit there and go, hmm, which one is it? Mm-hmm. 
but they don't do that yet. They'll figure it out. I know they do that eventually because I've read, you know, 80s Hobgoblin and they did it brilliantly with that stuff. So they figure it out eventually. They just haven't yet. Spider-Man and Daredevil keep fighting later in the book. I just, it feels like you could just get mad at Spider-Man for keeping this up. But I remember that he, from his perspective, Daredevil was hitting and running and hitting and running and hitting and running until Spider-Man was just like super annoyed. And then he left him there. Right. So Daredevil has not yet answered for why were you giving me so much crap yesterday? Right. And two things. They also carry over from the last story. Something I liked where Daredevil has a more mature personality than Spider-Man, which I'm down for right Mm -hmm. now anyway. But also just the fanboy in me thinks, you know, last issue Daredevil got the best of Spider-Man. So this issue they got to make up for it and have like Daredevil get knocked out. So Spider-Man looks good again. Right. You know, balance. Got to find that balance so the Daredevil fans are happy and the Spider-Man fans are happy. And they can all argue on message boards. <laughs> and by message boards, we can go to the college comments and post a piece of paper with a thumbtack on the, on the, on the post. <laughs> you know what's sad is, as I said, message boards, even that's outdated at this point. Yeah, there's no such thing. I mean, I'm sure there are. Reddit we just stuff, but. we just argue on Twitter now, I guess. Right. Or some, or is that outdated? We order we we argue on TikTok. Do people argue on TikTok? I don't, I don't think know. people argue on TikTok. I sound old now, right? Isn't Twitter old? I don't know. I don't think Twitter's old. I'm pretty sure Facebook is old. Yes, Facebook is old. Nobody cares. Um, I don't think Twitter appeals to the teens so much as it does the twenties and older. I think you're right. I don't think my children care about Twitter that I've noticed. They might at some point, but they might not. I don't know. It's a lot of reading. They just want videos that are funny for five seconds. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of a double entendre on page 16. And not uh-huh. a, like, like a sexual innuendo, but just like a subtle double meaning here. Um, last panel of page 16. Um, Optimist? He, no, he goes up against the uh, blinding ray. Mm-hmm. And... Marauder says, you better be scared. He says, I'm not scared. I don't have enough sense to be frightened. Oh. And it's like, he doesn't have his fifth sense. Right. And I was like, I don't know if that's cleverer than they meant it to be, but it's kind of a fun uh, play with words. Well, they do bold it. Yes. Um, So also, by the way, I think both Spider-Man and the Masked Marauder comment on Daredevil being the man without fear. And I'm wondering if like, that has been said before. I know it's on the cover, but right. the, is that just a thing that people call him, I guess? Like, have we ever even explained why he's called that? No. No? So they all just have read a Daredevil comic at this point and, and know to call him that, I guess. You'll learn the true meaning of fear. Wait, Not I don't, from you. I think we'll learn what Man Without Fear means by the 90s. I don't know. Uh but I love, even though it's kind of convenient that it's an optic blaster, so of course it doesn't work on him, I do love how he just kicks booty afterwards. That was pretty satisfying. When Daredevil gets blasted with the ray, Spider-Man is there on his knees. Um, uh-huh, so he, he hears the whole exchange, which uh-huh. I want to bring back when we wrap up the issue. Okay. Um, I think I might have wrapped up the issue. Or I don't know if there's anything else. but The only other thing I was going to say is that Daredevil, like... Uh, doing a good turn for spider-man was pretty cool at the end i love that more maturity and spider-man's mm-hmm. like oh that's nice of him and spider-man may have never figured out where daredevil was allegedly attacking him but this does end things on a good note between them mm-hmm. and you know Sp- spider-man fans know this daredevil fans know this but these guys are friends like 
you know how superheroes have their friends and their networks? Mm-hmm. Spidey and Daredevil are traditionally like two dudes that, that look out for each other. I think Daredevil is the first person that Spider-Man unmasks to as far as the superhero community goes. Right. They both know each other's identity. Right. And they usually check in on each other. There's usually some sort of appearance of one or the other when they're having a real traumatic storyline. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like when Daredevil's off the deep end in the '90s, Spider-Man cares. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't think it's till like after 2000, like it's in the you know more modern superhero world. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Matt Murdock finds out that he's Peter Parker before anyone else. Well, Matt Murdock should be able to figure out who anybody is. But <laughs> right, if he runs across Peter Parker and recognizes the heartbeat or smell or whatever it is. Right. Oh, that tastes like Peter Parker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want me some Peter Parker and Jimmy. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so how, sorry, how, 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 how could Matt interact with any human being ever? I don't know. I think about that sometimes. He's like this... Well, he's like this, you know, ladies man guy who's like always got all these girlfriends. But like that would just be all disgusting, I think, if you were Daredevil, in my opinion. Because he can smell and hear everything. Yes, and feel everything. And yeah, I don't know. It's the way this is how he lives. Like, it's normal for him. Like, dude, if he can feel the print and read it with his fingers, like no one's smooth enough. You know what yeah. I mean? Anyway, I guess he's just not judgy about that sort of thing. I guess he's not. So let's talk briefly about Spider-Man and the ramifications of this issue. Then we go on to Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did my Spider-Man read-through, which if you know, I've read the first thirty odd years of Spider-Man straight through. Um, there's this one point where everyone thinks that Daredevil is dead, and mm-hmm. Spider-Man's like, "Man, I thought Daredevil was just a blind lawyer." And you don't, if you're just reading Spider-Man, you don't know why or how he would have ever thought that. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man's no slouch in the brains department, and the beginning of this issue sticks with him. Okay. He knows that Daredevil's in that room. Right. He comes to the room, and there's a woman, mm-hmm. and a, a blind man, and a third person. Right. And so he attacks the third person, because that's the most logical candidate, but Foggy's not Daredevil. Right. And so that, possibly combined with the whole interaction at the end, where Matt, where Daredevil doesn't get affected by the blinding ray. Spider-Man puts two and two together. Yeah. And he's going to send Daredevil a note saying, hey, just want to let you know, I know you're Daredevil. And that's going to have far-reaching ramifications in the Daredevil book, which we'll talk about when we get there. That little thing is going to set up a trigger. Nice. Yeah. It's fun. This is a good two-parter. Uh... I can't think of many times when they've actually nailed both parts, so that was good. You know, you're right, because the second part is usually pretty... It's like ho-hum. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. All this right, great. ready for Thor? Thor! Speaking of two-parters or six-parters at this point, or whatever we're on. Yeah. 129, The Verdict of Zeus. <laughs> Written by... Actually, no. The, uh, the, the credits are boring. Harken ye, Stanley Ryder. Jack Kirby, penciler, Vince Coletta, inker, Artie Simic, letterer, yay, verily. Mm-hmm. No matter how sophisticated New Yorkers may be, when the noble figure of the God of Thunder hurtles down from the skies above, you can be somewhat certain he'll receive more than a passing glance. 
And so all this little crowd of people in New York, they see Thor land. They're like, oh, my God, it's Thor. Let me touch him. And uh, he's like, get away. Y'all are, y'all, y'all are crowding me. And so this cab comes by and says, hey, I can help you get out of here. Hop in. So the cabbie drives on and like Thor and the cabbie have this cute little bonding moment as the cabbie drives them to a, a, a um, apartment building and Thor walks away and the cabbie's like, yeah, that's Thor. He and me buds. He rides my hack whenever his hammer's on the fritz. Oh, but he forgot to pay me because Thor you know, doesn't pay. Mm-hmm. So Thor is at this uh, tower because he wants to go see Jane Foster. So while he's riding the elevator up, we cut scenes to Olympus. There's a big old party on the top of the tower. And then Pluto comes in and says, hey, Zeus. And Zeus is like, what are you doing here, Pluto? You should be down in the, in the um, underworld because that's where you're in prison. He's like, yeah, except that I finally got somebody to sign the stupid contract. And Zeus is like, okay, the only way you got somebody to sign this is by tricking him. But that doesn't matter. So who is it? It's Hercules, my son. Oh, no. So Hercules is climbing the mountain to the top of Mount Olympus, trying to get to see his dad. He fights a monster on the way up. He gets to the top, and no one's, everyone's like, don't look at Hercules. I mean, he's, you can't talk to Hercules. And Zeus, like, doesn't even talk to Hercules. Zeus sends a lightning bolt, says, what are you doing here, Hercules? You have been given over to the underworld. And Hercules is like, I don't want to do it, Dad. I just don't want to do it. And so Zeus makes a fiery phrase in the uh, ground that says, if you can have somebody fight for you on your behalf and they can risk getting the underworld, then it'll be great. So Hercules is like, who am I going to find to do that? Wait a second. Whose comic am I in again? Um, hmm. Okay. So meanwhile, Thor has gone to see Jane Foster and Jane Foster has a new roommate a diminutive but large-headed woman named Tana Nile. <laughs> and uh, Thor is like... <laughs> Mike, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, her, her visuals like had a major impression on me. So yeah, very accurate yeah. description. Thor weirdly finds himself going down on one knee like before royalty. And Jane's like, you too? Everyone I introduced to this woman, all impressed by I don't even get it. She's just some chick, you know? And um, Thor's like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. But you know what, Jane? I've decided that I, I, if, if Thor cannot marry a mortal, then Thor will no longer be immortal. I'm going to stop being Thor. I've just got to go do one thing back in home to Adland, and then I'll be back. We'll be together forever. And Jane's like, are you sure? Because you'd be giving – she's actually really supportive of his – not just his decision, but his decision-making process. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Because like you're giving up a lot. He's like, but yeah, but I just want to hold you, baby. I just want to kiss you and stuff. And Jane's like, okay. So Thor's like, I want to go do a thing and I'll come back. And Tana Nile's spying on them. He can't come back. He'll get in my way. And my plans can't be stopped now with my giant head. Um, <laughs> so Thor goes back to Asgard. He's walking on the Rainbow Bridge. Hey, Balder, what's up? Balder's like, hey, Thor, I was just coming to get you. Yeah, your dad wants to see you. Thor's like, okay, well, I want to see him too, so that works out. So he goes to see his dad, and his dad's like, hey, guess what? It's the day of the three worlds. You got to go wait in this really weird, like, the. I think it's the same room where the Green Ranger has to wait for the candles to burn down. Um, and 
you're going to fight for like somebody's cause. I don't know what it is. It's just some weird thing you got to do because it's the day of the three worlds. And so I was like, yeah, but I was going to talk to you. No, 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 no. You need to go do the three worlds thing, wait in the room, and then we'll talk later. So I was like, fine, whatever. Meanwhile, Hercules asks Ares, the god of war, to fight on his behalf. And Ares is like, Psh, we are not friends. And Hercules is like, well, dang it. Um, he goes to see uh, Hermes, but Hermes is riding off on his horses because, you know, running really quickly is definitely not what Hermes would normally do. Instead, he's riding a chariot with horses, John says sarcastically. Mm-hmm. And um, Hercules is like, what am I going to do? And Pluto's like, it's time. You have to go to the underworld. Here are all the underworld people to carry you off. Hercules is like, no, somebody help. And Thor in the uh, Green Ranger candle room is like, I hear Hercules calling for help. He needs me to fight for him. That's what I'm going to fight for today on this day of the three worlds. And so he like sends over to Hercules. And as Hercules is being pulled down by the demons and Pluto's cackling maniacally, Thor says, hey, guess what? I am your opponent. Next issue, Into the Netherworld. Woohoo. Kirby Thor, dude. Kirby Thor. Kirby Thor. And Kirby Greek mythology. So that was fun. Yeah. I think I've said before, when I was a kid, I was briefly kind of really into mythology. Not to the point where I'd call myself anything good at it now, because I don't remember anymore. But mm-hmm. I used to like check out books from the library and make lists and be all super nerdy about it. But it was all Greek. Greek, Greek, Greek mythology. So it's funny to me that Marvel is much more about Asgardian stuff, which I am not as into in terms of like you know reminiscing about or remembering and it's neat to see olympus and names i do recognize right right although the depictions are kind of weird like hermes shows up not wearing the one single piece of clothing that he's always associated with wearing and instead of running on his swift feet because he's hermes the messenger god he's riding a chariot pulled by horses yeah and do you think like he actually heard hercules and just got the hell out of there so he didn't have to say yes or no i kind of had that impression probably (laughs) <laughs> it seemed like they just missed each other, but I was just thinking, like, I bet it was like, oh, God, I know he's going to ask me this. I'm out of here. Well, talking about being really into mythology, it just occurred to me. And I don't know why in 121 episodes I haven't thought about this before, or if I did, I've forgotten. Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. of Sandman fame mm-hmm. wrote a book on Norse mythology. Oh. He wrote a narrative of Norse mythology that is out there. Uh-huh. It's one of his most recent works. There's an audible version, too. And I should probably just, like, Go through that. It's on like my it, list of stuff to read, but it's probably really far down. I just like do that next. Like a, like a, you know, I'm using air quotes here. Fictional retelling or like just trying to straight up summarize. I think it is done in narrative form. So I think it's like a way to access the stories in a way that feels like a novel. Mm-hmm. But not but, deviate. Maybe. But I haven't actually read it, so I can't tell okay. you that's true. Okay. Um. I, I think we had Kirby last issue too, but for some reason I was surprised we had Kirby this issue. So my memory about when we have Kirby now isn't so good, but I was happy that we had him. He's here almost every issue. He only takes occasional breaks. Yeah. I like I, he took a break from Captain America. Yeah. That's, that's probably more what I was thinking. And he left Hulk and I don't know. Yeah. It's cool. Kirby. Well, he's doing cool. his three runs. Like he'll occasionally do other stuff, but like, He's he's the the guy on Thor and Cap and Fantastic Four now with maybe yeah. occasional stand-ins. Yeah, this it looks taxi, really good. This taxi stuff, like sometimes, like you know, when they when the X Men fought the the Marvel Westerns, that seemed like a total waste of space and time, and wasn't all that fun or funny. This taxi stuff is delightful 
and awesome. And I mean, I don't know that it furthers the story, but it's mm. just so like world building in a way, you know, it's a nice character moment. It's well, it's, it's just a little injection of humanity that has nothing to do with mm-hmm. anything, but just feels nice. Yeah. It's cool to see how Thor interacts with the taxi driver. I don't know. Cause you don't necessarily get that a lot in superhero comics, especially You're quite a philosopher, my friend. Sure. <laughs> what cabbie eight? <laughs> the whole business was hilarious. I don't know. I just found it all amusing. It was awesome. I just I, I chuckled out loud when mm-hmm. he said he takes my hack whenever his hammer's on the blink. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's just bragging about Thor, even though he's only you know offered a ride the first time ever, but makes it out to be like their best friends and stuff. And then I started thinking, wouldn't that be great if this guy was a re- reoccurring character somehow? But I doubt it. Did you notice the hat that Pluto is wearing when he shows up on Olympus? Yes. It's it's a full fledged broccoli top. It's a mask hat. Yeah, something. yeah. He knows how to make an entrance. And like when I think of Marvel's Pluto, I think of the guy with the with the weird marks around his mouth and the eyebrows that seem to go up to there, and you know the carefully coiffed um, male pattern baldness. So I don't know if I've ever seen or, or remembered seeing this hat mask before, but it is it is something else. I'm cool. Like I think that Kirby did a good job of like making Asgard and Olympus not particularly one more advanced than the other, but both distinctly visually kind of different. Because mm-hmm. Olympus is just a, I don't know how to explain how it's different, but it's just got a different vibe to it. But you kind of feel like they're both on equal footing in terms of if they had to fight each other or something. And I feel like Worf read this comic and like thought Zeus was really cool. Yeah. My son, I know thou hast been grossly deceived, yet thou didst sign the compact, and uh-huh. more precious to thy father than life itself is honor. Yeah. And it's just like, that is such a worth thing. Do you think that the whole fiery message on page eight was like Zeus slipping him a note? Like, here's a way you can get out of it? I'm going to say out loud that you can't, but here's a way. I like that idea. Yeah. It seems like f- that's what it was. Our first indication that Zeus has, you know, got a little bit of coolness to him. Because yeah. so yeah. far he seems pretty much Odin. Yeah, Odin slips little ideas once in a while too, but yeah, they're both pretty foolish. I bet they have shared stories. Okay, okay, so this lady, right? Do you know her? I think she's a space person or something, but I don't remember. She is a space person. Um, she's going to be pretty important in like changing the focus of this book from the Earthbound God to the space God. She looks so... Like, I'm not knocking the art because I actually think it's a really good job of making you double take and go, what's with this lady? Something's, yeah. something's odd about her, but she looks like like a pop vinyl Dick Grayson or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> she is, She's intentionally odd looking. Yeah. And um, did you see the film um, Battle Hunter Alita or Battle Angel Alita? I did not, but I I saw the trailer, so I kind of know what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. So the girl, like they they size up her eyes like anime eyes. Uh huh. They're too it's far kind of, apart. It's kind of a similar effect here. Also, uh-huh. Battle Angel Alita is pretty awesome, and everyone should. Okay, I've heard of good things. I just haven't seen it. Um, I would be really worried if I was Thor, who just suddenly just felt compelled to kneel, and then Jane tells you, "Yeah, everybody who meets her does this." It's like, okay, let's get to the bottom of this right now. But that's okay. We could just deal with it later. Yeah. He's well, he's got, he's got stuff okay. to talk about, and they're drinking tea and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, I really liked this story. I do wish they had come up with something more interesting than this uh, 
fate business, like as a way to get Thor involved in this? Before we get to that, one uh-huh. one more note about Jane. Uh-huh. Um, page ten, they're talking yeah. about how um, you know he's going to go and one more time go up to to Asgard and see his father, and then you know I'll finally be together. Of course, that's not the way it's going to turn out, but the storyline with Jane actually is coming to a head in the next several issues. We're getting okay. close to resolving all of this. Well, because basically at this point, he's said out loud, I have to either be mortal or we can't be together. And we know he's not going to be mortal. So right. they're going to have to break up or something. But you always say about the uh, the fate thing, the day of the three worlds? <sighs> yeah, like that's just the first of all, fate's just a big cheat most of the time anyway. It's very okay. rare that I like fate as a reason. But like, why would an Asgardian's fate be to help an Olympian? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Weird crossover. It would have been cooler if somehow Hercules was thought of Thor as someone he could ask and reached out somehow to ask him and Thor being a good guy decided to help him. That would have been that, better. That would have been like a character driven story instead of like a weird <laughs> yeah. contrived. Cause yeah, basically what they're saying is there's this prophesied anointed day where you have to go and do this thing that is specifically required by this other person at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. It just, prophecy is always kind of weird i mean i mean it would have been it wouldn't even have been a stretch because hercules and thor were literally in the same room together last issue so of course hercules would think of thor right and call him up you know somehow i don't know why go through all this it's weird i guess just to make it like mythological maybe and the three worlds i'm guessing that's earth asgard and olympus i guess aren't there nine realms just now like i didn't even know what that was but there's nine realms so I don't know. Does Olympus think there's nine realms? Because Olympus isn't really part of a realm. Yeah, Olympus so, is not one of the nine realms. Um, so are they, they, do they come in and just say, uh, you mean ten, right? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah, the nine realms is totally an Asgardian Norse concept. Um, you get like Muspelheim and Vanaheim and Asgard and Midgard. Other uh, Heims and Guards. Not the first appearance of Zeus, because we had that in the annual. He broke up the fight. First appearance of a lot of gods that I don't think really go anywhere in, in the Marvel Universe, but Ares does. Ares does. And this is, I think, either his first appearance or his first, you know, first it, they haven't done a lot with him yet. I can't remember if he was in the annual, but if he was, he sure didn't do anything. Right. So this is, this is much more him being a person. Re- weirdly, I his name and its pronunciation always kind of sticks in weird in my brain. Uh-huh. Because there is another Greek personage a goddess whose name is aries okay r-i-s right and really aries's name if you're greek is more like aris so aris and eddies sound very different if you're greek but we call this guy aries which sounds like another person's name and it's it's all just weird and it's weird when you're reading wonder woman and they're in the same story and just to clarify this is his first appearance so if anybody okay. if anybody collects aries this is where it starts all right Thor 129. Thor 129. Another weird tidbit that has nothing to do with anything. What would you call his hairstyle? A mohawk, except that last panel of him looks like it's attached to the side of his head, but it could just be shadow. I don't know. If you were reading this in 1966, Uh you would not call it a mohawk because they didn't start using that word that way until like the mid-70s. Oh, wow. So what did they call it? If you even had a name for it, you might have called it a Mohican. Okay, because like a Native American reference. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're both Native American. Well, references. they both are. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, but just that for a generic term for this style of hair, that wasn't, and, and the term Mohican, uh, from what I researched, only goes back to like 1960, which is what I was saying, if you even have this word, you might use that word. Um, but they start using the term Mohawk in the 70s whenever they like are comparing rock stars to pictures of Native Americans. It's the whole like Native American culture becoming like a big deal mm-hmm. in the 70s. Well, I was going to say that maybe this is a unique hairstyle choice then, but I think the executioner sports like a shorter mohawk, doesn't he? Maybe it's just a God thing. I picture the executioner with like uh, weird angular lines of hair. Oh, maybe it's tattoos. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, other than the contrived three worlds thing, this was, this was fun. And I I really like the reversal that Thor and Hercules have gone through over the last few issues. Mm -hmm. And it's a great setup. We get the end where like where Hercules is about to have the hammer or, you know, the ax, Put down on him, and here comes Thor to save the day. So next issue should be fun. All right, and we get the first. I say the nay. I say the nay. That's right. We still haven't gotten the one thing I thought we were going to get three issues ago. What? Mjolnir. Oh gosh, that is really weird, isn't it? Right. Because they have a name for it. They've had it's a name in the for lore for a long time ago. Yeah. Do you think it's just because there's like no one will ever understand how to spell that, so we're not going to do it? That could be it. Looking at it from a from an English perspective, it's a really weird word. I called it Majolner my whole life mm-hmm. for a very, 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 very long time, all through childhood, of course. What's weird is J in a lot of European languages has a Y sound, but sitting here in you know mm-hmm. America, that's yeah. unheard of. We're such jerks. Anyway, yerks. <laughs> Throw the whole GIF versus GIF argument out the window, uh-huh. right? We got right. J versus Yay. Yep. <laughs> the hordes of Hurricane. Hurricane. Hurrican? Hurrican. Hurrican. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> know ye this. It hath been predicted that traitorous Loki, by uniting the forces of evil, would one day be responsible for Ragnarok, the end of the world. Therefore... Imperial Odin doth issue a grim command. Throw him in the well of eternal sleep. We don't need him anymore. Fabulously written by Stanley. Fantastically drawn by Jack Kirby. Fastidiously inked by V. Collette. And finally lettered by Artie Simic. God, Artie, get it together. Right. Okay. So uh, Loki's in trouble. I mean, he's going to cause the end of the world. It's like, yeah. No, we're going to stick you in the well of eternal sleep and you're going to get stuck in suspended animation. We did this one other time to this guy called Steve Rogers. Now it's going to happen to you. Um, and Thor's like, hey, Odin, I know that we heard and saw what we heard and saw, but he is my brother. Odin's like, don't you think I get that? I mean, it's my son, but I've got to be a king first and a dad later. And also, I'm just really bad at being a dad. So, you know. Go be a god of thunder somewhere. Hey, Hogan, Volstag, Fandral, approach the royal presence. Like Thor's like, hey, if it's these guys, we're going on in a mission. And um, Odin says that the land of Muspelheim uh, is, well, you're going to go and get the enchanted warlock's eye because it's a powerful weapon. We've got to keep it out of the hands of the forces of evil to postpone Ragnarok as much as we can. But while he's talking, the alarm sounds, hey, Muspelheim is under attack. The hordes of Harokin are attacking it. They set it on fire even. He sees the warlock's eye. Like, oh my gosh, it's the warlock's eye. 
And so Hadoken starts driving, uh, riding forward on his horse, with all of his hordes of Hadoken behind him. He's got the warlock's eye on his head. And y'all, 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 this is the best hat ever. It's a red hat with like a giant metal eye frame. Like think, think the top of um, the tower in Lord of the Rings. Right. If Jack Kirby had designed that into a hat. Yes. Like, that's what he's wearing. That's exactly So it. he's like shooting lasers with it and everything. Gaze as Hiroken commands and then suffer thou the consequences as guardians are falling left and right. But Thor and the Warriors 3 are riding forth to stop Hiroken and his merciless horde. Next issue, the fateful challenge. Change. That's what I said. <laughs> See, I could do the simple words. You'll hold on to the complex words and we'll get through this. All right, we got it. Um, so yeah, so Loki is predicted to cause Ragnarok, so put him in stasis. That makes sense as a short-term game plan, but you can't cheat fate. And then, I don't really get what happens, and you literally just summarize it, and I still don't kind of get it. Who is this guy again? What's going on? Okay, so this hat that he's wearing, the, the, uh, war, uh, warlock's eye. The Sauron hat, yeah. Sauron. They, um, it's a bad weapon. They want to keep out of the hands of evil people. So, okay. like, two things happen at the same time. Odin's like, hey, Thor and the Warriors 3, can y'all go to Muspelheim and get the Warlock's Eye? Because that's a weapon we want to keep safe. Uh-huh. If we keep all the bad weapons out of the hands of bad guys, that will make Ragnarok take longer to get here. Okay. While Makes he's giving sense. those commands, the alarm goes off too late. Hiroken's uh, already stolen it, and he's on his way here. Oh. Uh, it's like one of those, hey, remember my... Remember that one bad guy used to fight the vulture? I wonder whatever happened to him. And then he gets out of prison and attacks you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So this is a really powerful weapon that he wanted to collect and he couldn't because someone else took it and is using it against them. Right. And now the Warriors 3 and Thor are going to beat up his whole army. Now, I feel like Hiroken is one of those names that like comes up a lot in mm-hmm. the Thor that I've read. But it's some looking. I couldn't find what context it was. So this might just be a one-off thing. I don't know. I think it's a Street Fighter 2. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Hadouken. I didn't realize Ryu was Asgardian, but okay. You wouldn't, by hearing the name, you wouldn't have thought no, Asgardian. No. Yeah. Um, didn't Thor just meet these guys at the beginning of the boat ride? Yes. He's never known them before, as far as we know. But his dad calls him and he's like, oh! <gasps> An adventure, a mission. If we're going to get these guys involved, they're like, you just, you just met them. Yeah, but you know, they also proved that they were the the three that weren't evil versus the other two that obviously were. So maybe he's just excited to work together with cool guys or something. That's true. I got some yeah. new friends. Going to go friend with them. Muspelheim. Mm-hmm. So what is that? It's the land of the fire giants. Okay. Which is guarded by Surtur, and it's just a little bit weird. Because they're like, oh no, Hiroken has set Muspelheim on fire. And I'm like, either it's... A, how did you notice? Or B, wasn't it already? <laughs> Does that bother them? <laughs> yeah. Maybe the fire oh, no. was already there and you're just overreacting. Oh no, it's snowing on the frost giants. That's okay, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but my last thought on this is they really should rename this entire series. Instead of Tales of Asgard, it should be Tales of the Land of Crazy Hats. Yes. It's funny how that works, huh? As long as you give them a cool crazy hat, they're obviously gods or something. 
Right. And they have so many. Like whatever, uh, Miles and, oh, I forgot her name. Miles and a friend were doing a finite series on the Walt Simonson Thor run mm-hmm. uh, called The Thunder and the Storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a little segment at the end of each coverage where it was um, the, you know, the haberdashery segment. Like mm-hmm. who had the best hat of the story? Uh-huh. So I wonder if that's harder or more. F- I guess it probably depends on the artist. I feel like Kirby has a lot of fun with, you know, godly fashion that he doesn't have to he doesn't have to uh reference the reality over Mm -hmm. he seems to be really good at that and of course we know he moves on to dc and does even more of that so but i bet some people it's like god i I just wish i could just draw a fedora why do i gotta design a new hat for every single person standing in this room but i just want to okay so we have as guardian advisors do we have olympian advisors it seems only fair (laughs) <laughs> well we don't have hercules in the backup feature yet oh that's true okay so gene Hendricks's expertise is still apropos um and for those of you who are new to the show gene Hendricks is a very good friend of the show a podcaster in his own right he is known as gene gene the podcasting machine one of the few podcasters to have his own theme song and he is also a worshiper of the Norse gods and agreed to write in thoughts and comments on the um, Tales of Asgard series. So he says, at this point, we are done with the Norse lore as far as Ragnarok goes. First off, they didn't punish Loki before for things that he had done. So this is simply for what he will do in the future. <laughs> and no, that's not how it works. Right. Even after Baldur's death, when everyone knew who was behind it. Loki wasn't punished until he broke the rules of hospitality. That's because for all of his scheming to kill Balder, he hadn't actually done anything. That was all Hodir's fault. Mm. So punishing Loki for something that hasn't come about is just, hasn't even come about yet is just odd. Right. As for the rest of the tale, there is nothing Norse here. Um, everything from Hurokin to the warlock's eye is an invention of Marvel. Okay. Well, that doesn't surprise me. No, me neither. They're, um, you know, we're, we're not, we're not super far from the end of the series. Okay. Um, it feels like they've lost his way a little bit. If I'm being honest, like, okay. Initially it was like young Thor adventures. Okay. This is cool. This is how the world was formed. This is how humans were formed. This is all neat, cool backup story stuff that I'll probably forget. But this particular storyline, it's like kind of just meandering all over the place. Well, they did the um, not Argonauts thing with the crack in the sword that didn't get resolved. Which went nowhere, right? That took us to the Ragnarok prophecies, which I think was good to have. That was cool because that at least, you know, establishes what the frick Thor is talking about every time he brings up Ragnarok, right? Right. But I kind of dig just having a venue for Thor adventures that aren't tied to New York and 616 and all that. And, yeah. um, go ahead. I was just agreeing with you. Oh, I, I feel like once the Thor comic itself gets away from that, uh-huh. it will no longer have a need for this backup strip and it goes away. True. And I do think there's probably been and could be again plenty of fodder for like early day Thor stories. It's just that these are like, I feel like they're running out of ideas or something. I don't know. Okay. There, there's a big hat with an eye on it now. 
<laughs> but it's a Kirby hat with an eye on it. <laughs> right. I would, I'd rather just see more. And I, I know this, this is putting like modern storytelling devices onto older sixties comics, which isn't fair, but like early days of Thor and Loki and how, like at some point maybe they liked each other or almost liked each other and where that went wrong. That'd be more interesting to me than the next, uh, you know, would be monster or whatever they have to fight. I get it. I gotcha. But we have one more, right? Or am I miscounting? This we do a, have one more. We have a tale to astonish, to astonish. over. Number 81. Uh, starts with Prince Namer. Oh, I liked this story, if I remember correctly. When a monarch goes mad. Amazing story, Stanley. Astonishing art, Gene Colon. Astounding inking, Dick Ayers. Agonizing lettering, Sam Rosen. Imperious Rex. So, last issue, Lady Dorma hooked up with Krang because Krang convinced her that if she didn't, he would kill Submariner. So she thought she was saving his life, but she didn't really explain that. She just left. So hooked up with in the older people sense of just they got together, not in the bedroom no, sense. No, that they have not that. not the bedroom, but she agreed to marry him and all that, you know. Yeah. Like they do in comics. So name her be mad. He just thinks that she like betrayed him. And he's like crazy mad. Like uh I mean she uh, might as well have hooked up with him. She might as well have. He figures she deserted, she betrayed, blah, blah, blah. So he's decided to declare, like, even just mentioning her name, treason. And he, <laughs> the highest treason, he declares, uh, henceforth by order of Namor the First, Prince of Atlantis, Emperor of the Deep, Lord of the Seven Seas, and Supreme Commander of the Undersea Legions, that the mere mention of her name is now unspeakable. So he means business. And Vashti's like, whoa, calm down. Why don't you, like relax a little bit before you make any more demands. And he's like, nope, I'm in a hot-headed mood, and I'm going to make stupid rules right now. Like, first of all, we're going to hunt them down and kill them. And it cuts then to the scene of him, like, arresting her cousin because they're related. And Vashti's like, this seems wrong. He's like, silence. They share the same blood, so they're both traitors. Take him to the, you know, empty pit of Narnia or whatever. So... He's like screaming. The poor cousin's like screaming as the guards take him away. And Vashi's like, dude, he's losing his crap. And he is because he then uh, hauls off and goes to his chambers and destroys everything. He like punches posts and punches through walls and breaks stuff. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, calm down. Before I destroy everything, I want to keep my TV intact because this thing can like look everywhere under the sea. And I'm going to find freaking Krang and Dorma and punish them so bad. But he can't. So he has a lot of like dramatic anger problems. Uh, meanwhile, Krang and Dorma are together in Krang's, I guess he like commissioned a really awesome super submarine that's so fast that like the other submarines can't keep up. So they see him, but they can't catch him. Uh, but he has this cool plan to go to the surface and hide out. And he has this cool tech where he puts a helmet on a blue faced person's head and it turns them into a pink faced person. So the, both of them now look more like human and less Atlantean. Uh, he apparently also has a plan on how they can not breathe water, but that's not revealed. Um, but yeah, anyway, they get away. The guards see them, but see them get away. So they have to sulk up. They have to like slowly go in and like with the tail between their legs and tell Namor that they got away, which he does not like. He picks up a big Dorma statue and crushes it. And then he says, I'm going to go find them myself. Imperious Rex. And he flies and he swims away. The end. It says next enter the great golden Avenger. Enough said. I think you may use the phrase, um, dramatic anger issues. And I just uh-huh. think like that's the name of his biography. 
I mean, he's not being a good person, but that was really entertaining to read also. So I'm not complaining. This was a fun little, I mean, yeah, it's just him wrecking stuff. He came mm-hmm. in like a wrecking ball and it was really fun to read. Yeah. And it kind of harkened back to his old days when he was a big jerk face. Mm-hmm. So the weird headcanon in me then forwards to the John Byrne Namer series where they discovered that he's got mental issues if he doesn't balance his hybrid nature. And so he's having mental issues right now. Or he's because just mad. he's been in the water too much? Yeah, I guess. But he was just on the surface earlier, so that doesn't really work, does it? I don't know. I also get the feeling that he and Odin went to the same how to be a king school. <laughs> this is... Worse than Odin. I actually feel really bad for this cousin guy. Like, he has nothing to do with this. You know what it reminded me of Uh is um, the Game of Thrones and how, like, if you're related to a traitor, you have traitor's blood. And that Mm -hmm. whole, you know, just not just Game of Thrones, but like more primeval notion that you will you must do the kinds of things that your father did because y'all are the same. Only instead of like paying for the sins of your father, it's like paying for the sins of your third cousin twice removed. And it just seems a little extreme. Is the most monumental female traitor of all time not a cousin to you? And he's like, you mean Dorm? You can't say her name. That's illegal. You literally just asked me. And then they arrest him. Did you notice that the Neptune trident thingy is like sitting there by his throne? I didn't. I see it now though. That big splash page on three. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of neat. Um, not a lot happened, so I don't really know what else I have to say other than it was just fun to see Namer wig out and be kind of villainous again for a little while. I mean, this is the same guy who invaded New York because he had a crush on Sue Richards. So mm-hmm. it's not exactly out of character. I know. He's been actually on really good behavior lately. So I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised they wrote this story because it makes him look really bad and they're trying to make him like heroic in his own book, I would think. But uh, maybe they're like, nah, it's cool. It's Namer. We can make him a hothead. We haven't been reading the letters columns, but maybe people have been writing and wondering how to reconcile the two characters, the two Mm -hmm. portrayals of the character. Because, like, Mm -hmm. this Namor doesn't feel like the one who gave the Fantastic Four so much trouble. And they're like, okay, well, let's let's do that then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This definitely feels more like that. Um. He says at one point, where is it, page seven, has it not been written in letters that shall live throughout eternity, imperious Rex? But I'm like, I mean, has it been written? Did that get written? Because I thought it was just something we started saying. I think we just literally started saying it pretty recently, yeah. Yeah, like in this in this ongoing series. They never said imperious Rex before Astonish 70. Not to keep harping on this, but it seems like there's more capes now. Like every single person has a cape. And it used to just be Namer, and we'd make fun of Namer for wearing a cape underwater. But they all have capes. The guards have capes. Krang has a cape. Dorma doesn't have a cape. No. But Dorma and Krang do get um, skin-tinted mm-hmm. in this issue, which is mm-hmm. pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you and I both posted this. It's just worth mentioning, because this is 1966. America was in quite a place at the time. Mm-hmm. Dorma and Krang both changed their skin tone from blue to Caucasian. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I, I don't feel any different. And Crank says, why would you? The color of your skin is just an accident of fate. It doesn't change who you are as a person. Right. And that's, I mean, that's being pretty bold faced for 1966 comics. And that's also coming from freaking warlord. Can't crank. So right. Like, like if even this guy can figure it out, why can't we figure this out? He may be an evil, an evil guy, but like, racist <laughs> Apparently not bigotry? a racist. 
Yeah. He's like, I'm a bad guy, but I'm not a, I'm not a bad guy, you know? Okay, which, now, Cray's uh, awful. He's an incel, but he's not racist. <laughs> which brings a point. Like, we haven't had, have we had any inkling that, like, these, all these blue-skinned Atlanteans resent a pink skin or Caucasian skinned or pink skinned uh, emperor or king, you know, in, in Namer, like, cause he I doesn't look like them. I, I think you get that in like the forties and fifties Namor stories. I oh. feel like I've read that, but mm-hmm. I don't think you, we've seen that here. No, I don't think so either. Cause that could um, be a thing he could do. He could be like, you want him to lead us. He's not even blue like us. Right. But he doesn't. He says it doesn't, um, Krang tells Dorma that it doesn't matter how long the gas will last because she wants to know how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of does matter because they're going to the surface. And <laughs> is this a reapply every hour or every three days? Are you, You're going to run out at some point, right? Uh, I think he just likes to not give her information for some reason. Maybe he just keeps her in control that way. Well, he calls her a, a really bad name. Actually, Namor does. I'm sorry. Namor calls Dorma a pretty bad name. And we don't realize it's bad because it's like, antiquated what but he was calls the name a harridan oh okay and a harridan has it's it's insulting a woman for two reasons uh-huh one it's sex cha- sex shaming mm-hmm. and two it's calling her really old and shriveled ah so like you've spent your entire life you know being promiscuous and now you're old and it's just it's just like two different ways of attacking a woman and uh, it's not a great word. And it's also, you know, if we want to go even further, insulting to assume that you can insult a woman by calling her old as if the, all they care about is being young. Right. Can't do right. that to a man, right? Oh, you're an old guy. Oh, no. Well, to be um, honest, it goes for the sex, too. I mean, like, promiscuous men are exalted. Promiscuous that women too. are put down. Right. But um, we're not going to solve the um, problems with sexual dynamics and gender affairs and everything else. So well, let's go to Hulk. I mean, also just Namor is all kinds of wrong all over the place in this, like I said. But that just made entertaining. So Yeah. Yeah, Hulk. Okay, so the stage is set. Introducing the man called Boomerang. Hulkable script by Stan Lee. Hulk some way out by Jack Kirby. Hulkorious art by Bill Everett. Hulk-aided lettering by Sam Rosen. Costumes by... Tabor of Transylvania. That's you got all the name. words. Well, those are all fake words, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I believe they did that last issue, too. Anyway, like we always say, a story has to start somewhere. So here we go. Oh, that was a dumb thing to read out loud. Okay. So the Secret Empire group of people, a.k.a. guys in red masks who are very much like them, except red, are watching a video. And they're watching a video of the Hulk at some point, I guess, fighting an ar- fighting the army. And when he goes to escape, they launch the Dread Orion missile at him. And the cool thing about that missile is it explodes before it even hits the target. So it just splats like concussive concussive energy in a range. So you can't really miss. It's like the shotgun of missiles. And it did hit the Hulk, but the Hulk was so badass that when he landed, it didn't hurt and he got away. And one of the Secret Empire guys suggests, why don't we get the Hulk then? He's cooler. And they're like, Fool, you can't control the Hulk, but you can control missiles. So we're going to get missiles. Let's call that guy we know, Boomerang. So we cut to a scene that's obviously Boomerang, but Boomerang is dressed like James Bond, and he's got a nice lady there, and it looks like they're about to go out to dinner because they're in tucks and tails and dress nice. And he's like, hold on, lady, I got to take this call. And he's whispering in the closet like, oh, you want me to get the Orion missile? Okay, so that's how we know he's Boomerang. The lady seems to have no idea 
that he's a boomerang. She's, she's like complains that he's always going off to make calls and she doesn't really know what he does for a living. I don't know that they've been together that long, but he calls it off the dinner date and she understands and she leaves and she, uh, she wishes that he, uh, have a good, good, uh, uh, whatever he does. And he thinks to himself, yeah, I hope I do too, because I need the money. He has a cool secret James Bond, uh, thing behind his TV. That's got his outfit. Um, and oh yeah, guys, remember how this is like part two of a story. So let's get back to that because last issue, there was a war between Tyrannus and, uh, the mole man over the fountain of youth, basically. And Bruce Banner got in the middle of it. I'm sorry. Hulk got in the middle of it, but then he turned to Bruce Banner and now he's like watching this war between Tyrannus's men and the mole men. And he's trying to stay out of it. And he's like, I got to find Betty. I remember that Betty and Rick and Talbot were here. I got to find them uh, and try not to turn into the Hulk. So he's running through tunnels and he runs into the really ancient Tyrannus now who's running around with like a statue of his good looking head back in the day, like when he was young and pretty. <laughs> so they get into a fight. And Bruce is like, tell me where the humans are. And he's like, I sent them all back. I didn't need them anymore. And then he drops his his statue and cries. And then he finds like a little bit of water. And he's like, I think this is the fountain of youth. I'll have my my, uh, you know, I'll get my revenge on everybody, including the Hulk. But Bruce Banner has run away at this point. Uh, Tyrannus didn't lie. He did send Talbot, uh, uh, Betty and Rick back. The army finds them immediately. They kind of just get teleported to the desert army finds them immediately but guess what boomerang's there too and he looks weird he's got like a red costume with white sleeves and red like little cylinder disc thingies on all his sleeves and he uses them to like break steering wheels and split guns in half and knock soldiers over and none of that has really anything to do with the boomerang but glenn and rick decide to throw rocks at him and he's like how dare you? I'm going to steal this woman. And because I know this is General Thunderbolt Ross's daughter. And you tell him I'm not giving him his daughter back until he gives me the secret of the missile that I'm supposed to steal. And Glenn's like, yeah, right. He'll never do that. But then Boomerang finally does throw a boomerang, hits the side of a mountain and causes an avalanche. So they're probably just dead anyway. I don't know. And he steals Betty. Back to Bruce. He is trying to escape, but he runs into a bunch of the the fight, and they all start tackling him. So he turns into the Hulk and destroys them all. Then he knocks over Tyrannus's statues. Then he finds like a little room, and somehow, based because like Banner's brain is still way, 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 way down deep inside, he recognizes that this device might send him home. So he lays down in it and gets teleported. And next issue, the Hulk meets the Boomerang. Okay, so my bad. He actually did throw a boomerang in this issue. He did, but he sure ain't boomerangy. No. It's kind of weird. Like, he's apparently an... I don't really know his origin. I just know him as a Spider-Man bad guy. And he always just shows up as boomerang. So I've never seen him out of character, out of costume. I guess he was an ex-ball player and a James Bond. I don't know. It was weird. He was kind of a James Bond or James Bond-like villain. Mm-hmm. Well, he's handsome and he's wearing a tux and he has secret stuff, but then he puts his gear on and he just has like this expertise with these rings that are on his sleeves that don't really have anything to do with boomerangs. And let's be real, especially if you've seen his later rendition, uh-huh. this early look is redonkulous. It's horrible. Now, I mean, boomerang characters are kind of ridiculous anyway. Thank you, Flash. Yeah. But, but this is worse. Yeah. 
And it's weird to like call him boomerang, but like give 90% of his work, those, those red discs. Uh-huh. And he you loses think- those eventually and, and, and just, you know, is yeah. boomerang. Yeah. He like, just has boomerangs all over his costume. But uh, you think maybe they wrote this story and then afterwards decided to name him Boomerang or something? I don't know. No, because he was he was uh, fe- he was teased in the last issue, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Okay. Well, first appearance of Boomerang, first appearance of the Secret Empire. We've been getting a lot of uh, nefarious villains lately. Now, now, um, you know, you remember more about Bond than I do, mm, but maybe. numbered bad guys in organization. Mm-hmm. That is a James Bond thing, right? Is that a, is that a yeah. Smirsh thing? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. That okay. came from uh, 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 you know the first time you see Blofeld pressing buttons and killing people. Right. So I feel. Or, like... even, I'm sorry. Even before that, like I think from Russia with Love, the main bad guy with number two and number three and all that, you know, it was a big deal. Whenever I, because I, I I saw Austin Powers, right? And I've read these comics before I ever saw. Or at least, like, paying attention. Because uh-huh. your parents watch stuff when you're a kid that you kind of half watch. But I yeah. didn't really sat down and watch James Bond and paid attention for like a year right. or two ago. Whenever right. it was, I watched those three James Bonds. I mean, I uh, can't claim I can't claim that he, they invented that idea, but they certainly popularized it. Certainly popularized it, right? Yeah. So Fred Myers feels like either James Bond as a bad guy or a James Bond bad guy. Yeah, the Secret Empire feels like they're borrowing from. Blowfield's organization. So I feel like we're definitely taking some nods from that. But it's 1966. That's what's popular. Oh, they're doing that in a lot of stories. Yeah. All this, like you said, man from uncle, all the mm-hmm. spy stuff is very popular right now. Communism, all that. Bruce is unshaven. Does that mean that Hulk is unshaven or, and this is weird, does Bruce's non-existent body grow a beard while he's the Hulk? That must be the case, because when he turns to the Hulk again, he's not Harry. Right. But if you were to ask me, without reading this story, hey, Mike, when Bruce Banner has a beard and he turns to the Hulk, does he also have a beard? I would say yes. Because you feel like you've seen that happen. Yeah. Like, isn't the uh, the maestro a bearded Hulk? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just seems like their hair should be... Not that their hair is the same, because his head gets bigger and his hair turns green and stuff but yeah i don't know that is weird isn't it sometimes licking the mud off the ground is the best you can hope for in life and that's what tyrannus is doing there on page five this is really weird i didn't understand that because the whole point of the previous story was that the mole man had stolen the pool so why is he looking for water in a cave mole man has it he has to defeat mole man to get it back that's the rule well they threw and we weren't sure which one was the, was the actual pool but they threw something into the pool at the end of last issue oh right which like scattered the waters, maybe? I don't know. And, I don't go ahead. I, I I think last issue we decided that the treatment of the pool was not consistent. It and it continues not. to not be consistent here. And it, I thought maybe the pool had something to do with why he turned to Bruce Banner, but they sort of just gloss over that and he just says, Oh, I'm Bruce Banner for no reason. That's cool. I bet you we're gonna see him young and handsome again next time because he does have that little water licking on page five. Mm-hmm. He is gonna show up in the X-Men 34 is his next appearance, so it's not too far down the road. Um but he is exits it, halfway through the chapter. Is it just me though? This is like I could be exaggerating, but isn't this like the eighty-fifth story where like Hulk something happens to the Hulk and then by part two it's resolved and we didn't care? Like time travel and now he did this mole man thing and he just gets out. And it's like, it just seems like all these roads that he's turning down that don't affect him or anything. Yeah. 
or us. I can see that. And it, this definitely feels like five pages of resolving one story and five pages of starting another story. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the fact that at the very end, we are still concerned with the caverns. When did Tyrannus's Moloids get that armor, though? Did that happen last issue? Were they looking like that? I don't. They weren't. I didn't think. Do you feel like this is the most conventional Hulk out we've ever had, though, so far? Yeah, where he's just like in a situation and freaks out in terms of the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's like he's in someone's headlock, literally, and he Hulk's out. That's pretty cool. We have abs. I wouldn't say zero explanation, but no explanation until much later of the magical appearance of our three friends on page six. Uh, no, he said he let him go. Yeah, but they like teleport and there's no discussion before that of a teleporter. Right. The last time we saw them, they were in a prison cell. He says he let them go, but we don't know anything about how they, and it's at the very end of the story, Bruce Banner's like, I've got to find that teleporter and Hulk gets teleported out. Right. Um, but it's just, it's, it's weird storytelling. Right. Cause the original <clears throat> Tyrannus storyline involved a ship drilling into the ground or something, right? He didn't mm-hmm. have a teleporter. So, yeah, it was a little shortcut just to get him back. But see, then, then again, it's like all the danger's gone. We created this danger, and now let's just undo it because we've got to move on because this story is bo- boring us. And Boomerang's attacking people. It, going back to the stuff underground at the end is really just a, oh, yeah, that's right. we got to get Hulk out of there and get him to our new plot line. Bruce Banner's looking for the science building. He's right. underground. And Tyrannus is in Mole Man's kingdom. The transmitter must be in the science building up ahead of me. Really, right. Bruce? Right. Not to be, speaking of science, not to be too sciencey about this, but how it does the discs on his sleeve shoot hydraulically? Because the first appearance, page six, it looks like he does something to make them shoot. But then on page seven, it looks like he's just throwing them. I and think he's, he's actually ripping them off of his shirt. Okay, and so then throwing them. So he can throw a disc so hard that it splits the barrel of a gun. That's kind of crazy, right? Right. And breaks a steering wheel on a Jeep and Those does doesn't knock your legs thick off. Thick discs must be razor sharp. Must be, says the guy who's a fan of Captain America, where the laws of physics do not apply to his shield. But anyway, and we make no uh, we make no bones of our political perspectives. It is worth noting on page seven that these soldiers have been stopped by Boomerang. He has ruined their car, but he's not armed with a gun. And so they don't feel that firing upon him with firearms is warranted yet. He's right. How can I shoot a man simply because he broke our steering wheel? I should have been a cop. Oh, write me a oh, letter. I don't okay. care. Um, the only other note I had here, well played. <laughs> yeah. The only other note I had here is that Bruce was Bruce the whole issue. He was, but what did we get out of it? Not much. That's true. But. Yeah. Yeah, he was there. He was there to be weak for the middle so the Hulk can Hulk out again in the end. Who are you, Bruce? I need to know. I need to understand your soul. Tell me who you are. You have a beard. Tell me who you are and where did you get the beard? When was the last time we saw you, Bruce? I can't even remember because who cares? Where do you come from? Where did you go? Where do you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Yeah. All right. Well, All right. I well, think pretty- that is our final book. Yep. So next time on Battlestar Galactica... We're going to be going into, I don't think we once said the date. This was all April 5th. So we're going to jump a week next episode and go April 12th, which is going to include Sergeant Fury 31, The Avengers 29, 
Tales of Suspense 79 and the Fantastic Four 52, which if you know your Fantastic Fours, you know that that is going to introduce a very important new Marvel character. Um, so be here for that. Where can they find us, Mike? They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. Well, you'll find all the posts there. You'll find links to our show or our uh, uh, social media on Twitter and Facebook. You can also just type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast player, and you can write to us directly, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Um, Mike is on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics. We both tweet about the stuff that we read. Sometimes we even tweet the same panels. Um, and you should go follow us there. I also have all of my shows that I do. The um, All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast is on Twitter at All the Pouches. My Transformers podcast, Return to Cybertron, which is about Transformers cartoons and the Marvel UK comic series, is on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. I'm running a Twitter account at Logan Says Chuck, where Logan calls Xavier, Charlie, and a Chuck, and lots of other names that he does not appreciate. It's pretty fun. And other people do it too. Favorite called him Charlie. He's like, hey, look at that. Um, and yeah, so I guess that wraps us up, right? That wraps us up. All right, we'll be here next time. And until then, or until Lucifer decides to take over Harlem gang crime. Make ours marvel. marvel.